0: Hey, what's going on? It's at The Letters for Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producer, is Christian Ryan Ben. The end of November, beginning of December, right around the corner. Winter meetings, right around the corner. Typically a time when the MLB offseason kind of picks up from a trans- transactional standpoint, although we have seen uh, some movement on the uh, the pitching market to this point Uh, How much are you looking forward to just kind of the next few weeks and uh, some of the activity that we should be seeing?
1: I am looking forward to it. I think that Shohei Otani is just such a special free agent that it's going to lead to a different kind of offseason. And even, you know, assuming that he signs with, let's say it's the L.A. Dodgers, that's still pretty interesting to me. That still will have huge ramifications in the industry for all kinds of teams trying to accomplish different things. So, Honestly, like I am pretty intrigued to see what's going to happen. It's been a slow build. Not a ton has happened in the first few weeks of the offseason, but that sets up a really interesting couple weeks here. And the Blue Jays are right in the middle of that mix at this point with respect to Otani and also with different needs that they have to address. In Ben's ideal world of like what would be most interesting
0: from a baseball standpoint, where do you hope that Shohei Otani signs?
1: Well, I want to hear your answer to this as well, um, but um, I will uh, I will dive in here. I mean, look, it, you know, as a as a baseball writer, I don't know if Willie Mays was a free agent, or Barry Bonds was a free agent, or Babe Ruth was a free agent. Like, wouldn't you want to cover that player? Wouldn't you want to have the chance to watch them? Try to accomplish historic things that haven't been done on a baseball field. Uh, I don't know. Like, that sounds more interesting to me than Jamer Candelario. So, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I hope that, that I get the chance to watch Shohei Otani a lot. Yeah, selfishly, I think that would be awesome. I think that it would be great for Blue Jays fans. Um, I think it would be a really interesting time to have the Blue Jays in the spotlight. And, you know, from a career challenge standpoint... I think that would be really cool. It would create a lot of different possibilities. And like, hey, if the Blue Jays end up signing Jamer Candelario and like Ahmed Rosario, I will do my best to write interesting stories nonetheless. But I think they would be a little more interesting if Shohei Otani signed. So yeah, that would be, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But for me, of course, that would be the preference. What did Jameer Candelario ever do to you, man? (laughs)
0: Holy, what a stray for that guy to catch in like minute three of ATL. We're going to have to scrub this from the internet when the Blue Jays sign him for like four years, 60. Oh,
1: man, they very well might. I don't think they go to 60, but I I mention him because honestly, like he's on their list. Like it could happen. So that's a real possibility. And, you know, you're not going to see quite as much excitement for that one if it does happen.
0: Well, you know a lot of teams are gonna be in at like three years forty-five. So the Jays are gonna to have to go to four sixty oh. to lock up the prize that is Jane or Candelario. You know that. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, that's a whole other
1: discussion. <laughs> Tell me what you
0: what do you where would you if
1: you could choose it, where would you have Otani
0: go? So I mean, look, I watch these games from the camera. Well, obviously I want to watch Shohei Otani pitch every yeah. uh five days, but like when is he going to pitch? Is he going to pitch again right like that like those are huge question marks with uh you know with his health and just what his career is going to look like going forward I'd obviously like to watch him hit as well when we were in LA at the uh the beginning it was very near the beginning of the regular season it might have been on that opening 10 game road trip we were in LA and just like I think I saw him take Bassett Deep or I saw him take somebody deep and it was like holy like it, the ball's different off of his bat. And Shohei with a drive to right. He has welcomed himself to Canada with his 39th. I also saw Trout. take. I definitely saw Trout take Bassett deep even like that was just a tank. Um, and just from my very privileged position where I get to watch these games, it is really awesome just to watch like greatness that close and to see how good those players are from the best seat in the house. So, yeah, obviously, I'd love to watch Shohei Otani play for uh, 162 games or however many that he gets into. But just from like a baseball interest standpoint, kind of want the Rangers to sign him. Like, can you think of more of a super team in this era than what the Rangers would look like with a rotation of, again, like, will Shohei pitch eventually? Who knows? We'll see. Will he start again? Who knows? We'll see. But, like, Scherzer... Avaldi, you got Jacob DeGrom coming back from surgery. If Shohei's in there, just adding Shohei into a lineup that has like a Seager, a Garcia, a Simeon. Um, and I really like the idea of winning the World Series and not resting on that. Like winning the World Series and then saying, "Yeah, and by the way, let's go and add." Uh, the best player available, a generational talent, maybe the best player to ever play this sport in its long and illustrious history. Hey, we've already spent like a half billion dollars on Seager and Simeon. Let's spend another uh, half billion dollars on Shohei. Let's have like 800, 900 million dollars wrapped up in three players, maybe even a billion dollars wrapped up in three players. That to me is is very enticing and uh, would be very compelling to watch.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's why you know the Rangers are going to be one of the most prominent suitors for Shohei Otani as well, um, because it's a really strong case. They have Mitch Garver hitting free agency, DH spot open. Boom, put him in there. Like it, it would be incredible. It would be a chance for him to continue building on a World Series championship with with Texas, and definitely have the chance to win. I think like any of these teams can make such a strong case as long as they have the resources they can make a strong case to themselves for going out and doing it because he's just on a different level. And that's where I say like, you know, it would be so fun to see him in Toronto because look, we're, we're interested in the blue Jays. Our audience is obviously locked in on the blue Jays and, and our ATL listeners are going to be following this team, whether it's Bravek Valera and Jacob pack, or, you know, you know, this year you have all kinds of players suiting up for the team. And, the uniform. Say it. Throw somebody else under the <laughs> I, I, catch. Just send out another stray, then Do it. I, I don't need to. Do, I it. don't need to do that today. But um, is it Mitch White? Is it yeah. Wes yeah. Parsons? Oh, there we Who's go. Who's catching couple, it? There's a couple of good ones right there. Um, Tyler Heineman. Let's, let's toss him in there. Um, you know, Ernie Clement. Like there are all kinds yeah. of players on this team that are interesting. But Shohei would just take it to a totally different level, and this is why it's so interesting. And I think okay, so you got the Dodgers. They're the front runner. To me, in this entire time, the Dodgers have been the front runner and they remain that. But at the same time, I was having this conversation with an executive not long ago with a different team, not with the Dodgers, not with the Jays. And you know the person was saying, yeah, the Dodgers are the favorite, but end of the day, would you take the Dodgers or the field? And I said, I would take the field. And this person agreed with me and said that Ultimately, the Dodgers might be the most likely of all the teams, but they're still probably 30, 35, 40% at most to sign Otani. So that does create an opening for the Rangers, for the Blue Jays, for the Giants, for the Cubs. And I think that, you know, the Blue Jays are not on the Dodgers level, obviously. And if the Dodgers sign Otani, no one should be surprised. You shouldn't necessarily even be disappointed if the Dodgers sign Otani. That was always the most likely move. But at the same time, I do think the, the Jays have a legitimate shot. I think that end of the day they are going to be one of the one of the finalists for Otani in that group behind the Dodgers with the Giants, Rangers, Cubs. Maybe the Red Sox sneak in there. Maybe there's a mystery team. But I think the Blue Jays are in that discussion where it's like they have the need, they're motivated to win now. They have the money, which is massive, and not every team has. And so that's where this actually gets interesting. And I don't think the Jays are more than like a five or ten percent chance to actually sign Otani. But that's not nothing at the same time. Like 5 or 10%, you actually have something of a shot. And so how they go about trying to persuade them to sign in Toronto, super interesting. Uh, that's why I think these next couple of weeks are going to be a lot of fun to follow.
0: As long as we are working with percentages, would you put the Dodgers at like 33% and the field at 67%?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah, and so then you would put the Blue Jays at... 10 to 15%. That's where you add them.
1: I'd say somewhere around 10%. Yeah, maybe 10 to 15%, somewhere in there. Like, I, I think that you could say the same range for Giants, Cubs, Rangers. And then there's some possibility that he, like, I don't think he goes to New York. I don't think he's a Yankee, but there's some possibility that maybe the Mets jump in or maybe the Red Sox jump in. But I do see the Blue Jays as like a legit contender among many and behind the Dodgers because the Dodgers are the number one. It's funny
0: because like you can whittle down the shortlist really quickly. Like you can cut out just half the teams in baseball essentially in terms of resources. Like they just do not have, well they they could have the resources, they don't have the willingness from an ownership standpoint to uh, utilize those resources and to yeah. tap into those and to pay what it's gonna take to sign Shohei Otani, which by the way, 400 450
1: million maybe even 500 million that's what we're looking at here oh man if you can get him for 400 do it today <laughs> like yeah, that to me would be an incredible bargain i think there's so many so many different ways to look at this and obviously i'm not a i don't have a business background um and and even even for people who do have business backgrounds trying to estimate how much he would bring in is probably a little bit of a black box because it's not like you can go to Japan and start having those conversations absent a deal with Shohei Otani. So you're still guesstimating what that revenue might look like. I I think that the the total contract could easily be over 500 million. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's over 550. Like I could see a case for signing him at 600. So
0: if it's $500 million, like there's just a large collection of teams in baseball that will not even enter that conversation so already like you've got it whittled down to i don't know 12 teams or so and you know it's the ones you mentioned right like dodgers rangers cubs blue jays red Sox, giants now teams like the mets and yankees uh have the resources certainly it's questionable about their willingness right now like they haven't seemed um you know particularly willing to sign a Shohei Otani, it doesn't seem like that's what they want to do right now in, in their cycle or, you know, in what they want to spend. You could probably lump, like, the Astros in there, the Phillies as well. Like, those are franchises that certainly have spent a ton of money. The Nationals as well, like, have spent a ton of money on free agents, on their own players in the past, but don't seem to have that willingness at this time. So really, like, you very quickly get down to a quite short list Of which the Blue Jays are one of the teams, like are one of the suitors, like one of the teams that has the resources, has the willingness. We just spoke to Ross Atkins uh, yesterday, you, I, the rest of the Baseball Writers Association of America Toronto chapter, like Ross talked to us and he talked about the Blue Jays flexibility, their nimbleness, their ability to bring um, concepts and pitches to ownership. And that includes shohei otani and this by the way like is not the first time the blue jays have been involved on like one of the top names on the free agent market that is going to sign like a deal in excess of 300 million dollars they're involved on Corey seager they're involved on garrett cole um like those things didn't get to the finish line those things maybe bryce harper those things maybe weren't particularly realistic um but Like, those are conversations that the Blue Jays had. Freddie Freeman. Like, the Freddie Freeman stuff was real and legitimate. Like, the Blue Jays went down that road with him. So, they have the ability. They have the resources, the willingness. Like, they are in a win-now posture right now. They are trying to win a World Series in 2024. They are trying to consolidate as much talent as possible on their roster today today. Currently, it's like absolutely the Blue Jays are in this discussion. It's just going to be about, okay, what does Shohei Otani want? What does he value? How can we service that for him? Like how can we present that to him and make ourselves as appealing as possible to him? And then how do we satisfy kind of what the structure of this contract looks like in terms of term, years, years? opt outs, um, perks, like all the kind of stuff that I saw you write about at sports.ca in terms of like his say in terms of coaching decisions and staffing decisions, there's gonna be all kinds of stuff about like what his life looks like at the ballpark how much media he does what his life looks like on the road what like type of promotional stuff he's involved in like all that stuff is going to be written into the contract and all that stuff is going to be tailored to him to make him as happy as possible that's how this process plays out and then you bring it to ownership and then ultimately rogers communications which owns the blue jays owns sportsnet everybody knows this is going to make the decision on that and it's going to be a, a yes or a no. And so it's like entirely realistic that Shohei Otani could be a Toronto Blue Jay. Yeah,
1: I think it's on the table. And I think, you know, in talking to Ross Atkins about this yesterday, and and so he was asked about Shohei Otani, he kept his answers general. And there were other times that he was asked about recruiting in general terms, top players to the city of Toronto. Again, he kept his answers general, but never in the course of those answers did he do anything to dissuade us from the notion that the Blue Jays could compete for a top talent such as Shohei Ohtani. Like, I mean, there could have been moments there where he might have hedged or say, you know, we all have limits or we have to be mindful of our resources. and You know, there are endless ways to hint to the public that maybe you're not in to those top, top levels. And Atkins didn't say that. So that's reading between the lines. And we're doing a lot of reading between the lines on this stuff because Ohtani's camp has played things very close to the vest. They're not out there. His representatives at CAA Sports, they're not out there, you know, giving descriptions of what's happening. Understandably so. Um, but that leaves us on the outside kind of wondering what this process might look like. And if I'm the Blue Jays, I am using the chance. If you do get a chance to sit down with Shohei Otani, which we're not sure if they're going to have that chance. But if you do get that chance, then I think you need to take advantage of that to show him how much you care about his well-being and how much you're committed to winning. But, You know, the winning part, to some extent, that's the roster. It's the win-loss record. It's the fact that you're bidding for him in the first place. All those things point to a commitment to winning. But I think that beyond that, you want to show him that you're kind of tuned into him, not just as an athlete, but as a person. And the athlete part, hey, like we know that Shohei Otani, he's got a bit of a nerdy side. Like the complex in Dunedin, Florida, that can probably be really appealing to him when it comes to getting the most out of his body and getting the most out of the resources that the Blue Jays have. Playing in a dome stadium, that can help him. A diverse city like Toronto might be appealing to him. But I think even the fact that he's played at the same high school as Yusei Kikuchi in rural Japan growing up, wore the same number, maybe have Yusei Kikuchi narrate it, right? Like, don't have Ross Atkins narrate it. No no disrespect to him or John Schneider or Bo Bichette or anyone else that you might consider for those things. Have Kikuchi do it in Japanese. Maybe find out what his favorite music is. Like, maybe get a CGI of Otani as a Toronto Blue Jay hitting a big home run at Rogers Center. Like these are the kinds of things that I think can, and they've made video pitches like this before. This is the kind of thing that you want to show to Shohei Otani to say like, we actually want you, we have this vision of you. And it's not just about us and how it would benefit us, but it's also about how they understand Shohei Otani as a person. And, you know, like self-improvement is something that we know is important.
0: To Shohei um, and like taking care of his body and routine and a lot of these things are like things that he really values and like you know like you said he's a pretty private dude and he's you know he's not out there um, you know exactly explicitly telling everybody uh, you know what he values and what he's looking for but yeah the sense you get is that he wants to win and he wants to be somewhere where he's gonna have the resources to continue to get better and to live eat train in the way that he wants to now like I I'm not trying to uh present myself as somebody who has a tremendous amount of insight into Shohei Otani today but I did spend some time around him before he ever came over to MLB in uh 16 or 17 I went to see him in Japan and I wrote a, uh, a Sportsnet magazine story on him uh, for our listeners a magazine uh, is this printed product that they <laughs> used to have in the stone ages uh, in which there would be words uh, in print uh, it's pretty incredible you can look it up at a library uh, but so I went over and I spent several days with Shohei and I saw his routine firsthand. and look this was like 6-7 years ago at this point this is before he ever even was this like 2 years before he was even posted by the Nippon Ham fighters and even but at that point, like he was somebody who was very intentional, very deliberate, and very involved in the way that he trained, uh, the way they took care of his body. The way that he ate like a lot of what we talked about him and I were just about the new training methodologies that he was just starting to learn because at that point he was like very early 20s and he was even showing the ham fighters some things like that their strength people like talking to their trainers and to their conditioning folks. They were like we learn from Shohei like he brings stuff to the table that he wants to be doing and he wants us to incorporate into his plan. When I saw him, like it was the off season, it was winter. I remember it was cold when I went out to their training facility and he was like out on the field doing like a multi-hour routine, like a whole ton of training, both indoors and outdoors, like before he even picked up a bat, before he even went to throw. Like This is somebody who was at that age, and I'm sure this has only continued since, but at that age, just like very, very involved in the way that... He trains. So I think that the Blue Jays having the resources that they have in Dunedin at the player development complex would be something that would appeal to him. I think, again, this is just my opinion based on the time I spent around him like six years ago. Um, but I think that the resources the Blue Jays are building out in Toronto at Rogers Centre right now would be very important to him. Like, you know, with these renovations, we tend to focus a lot on... The seating and the outfield districts, and like all of that great stuff for fans, and all of that stuff is super and wonderful. But there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes as well to improve facilities and training resources for players. They're redoing the entire clubhouse. The batting cages uh, a couple of years ago were completely redone, the weight room's been redone. Like the Blue Jays' goal is to build out a lot of what they have, a lot of the facilities that they have in Dunedin in Toronto at Rogers Center so the players can utilize that stuff in season and that's a lot of what's going on with this renovation right now is really kind of underneath the hood it's stuff the fans might not ever see but these are some of the things that were of great importance to Shohei Otani when I got to know him several years ago I would assume they are still of great importance to him so as a potential advantage that show or that the Blue Jays could have as they're recruiting
1: him That's all super interesting. And I think like these are the kinds of things that if you're a team that's not named the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, and even if you are the Dodgers, but you need to take advantage of every bit of information you have. And information in this case is power. It's recruiting power, because if you go in there and just say, hey, Shohei, like we love you as a player, you know, we'll offer you 500 over 12. Uh, We think you'd be an awesome cleanup hitter. Like, great, but there's there's another layer that you can potentially get to, and I think that all that information is super useful, and it's a way to maybe give yourself an inside edge for a player of this caliber. I also think opt-outs are really going to be important. Um, I think that the opt-outs have a, have a chance to be super interesting in this deal. I think the question of support staff is really interesting. We know his interpreter, Ipe, is, has kind of a following of his own around the Angels fan base and has worked with Shohei at the WBC with Japan. They appear to be very close. I would think that offering him a contract as well could be uh, something that that makes a lot of sense to, to show to Shohei that you're committed not only to... You know him, but to the people around him, uh, to make sure that he's in a good position. But I did want to ask, Art, and So, you know, looking back at that time that you spent, kind of writing that that story, that was before he came to Major League Baseball, obviously. And do you remember from that period of time what the Blue Jays' level of interest was in two thousand seventeen? I mean, that's six years ago now. But do you, do you remember any any context? Because it was the same front office that they have now.
0: And they made a pitch to him when he was posted um and i i'm sure that, that included a video and that probably included you know messages from current players like they, like we know something about the way the blue jays recruit players like it wouldn't be that dissimilar from the way that they tried to recruit like a freddie freeman or a Corey seager you just tailor it to the individual so i, I know the blue jays made a pitch i don't think they were ever a finalist for him at that time I, Um, I don't know that, you know, that his priorities at that time really, like, I just, I don't think that Toronto was really somewhere that he took seriously at that time. But I think that now they likely are more so than they
1: were then. Yeah. I think that, you know, last time he had seven finalists, all of which trained in Arizona, all of which were West coast teams or Western Division teams, with the exception of the Cubs, which was the lone central team. There were no East Coast teams in his finalists. Um, It appears this time that he would be open to East Coast teams, which opens the door for clubs like the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. And I think that, you know, we don't know how this process is going to unfold at this point. We don't know if there's going to be an announced group of finalists or if we're just going to wake up one day to a press release or, you know, a Ken Rosenthal tweet or whatever the case, right? We don't know how it's going to unfold. But I think that if there were to be a group of six or seven finalists, I think the Jays will be in that group.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I shouldn't say that he didn't take Toronto seriously. It's that's just misspeaking on my part. He he, like they did not line up with his preferences at right. that time with what he was looking for. He definitely takes Toronto seriously. Um, like I, uh, I just think that now his preferences have likely changed. But like some of that stuff that like his core values, like some of the stuff that is most important to him, I think that has likely re- remained consistent like I always like I'll never forget like talking to one of his uh strength people there in in Japan and they were like man like it's remarkable like this guy just he works out all day and then he goes back to the dorms and he reads about how to work out better tomorrow like that's just where his head was at this guy is not like just known a car like at that time he was living like in the dorms with yeah the pawn. like he was like literally like he didn't have his own place like he lived in the dorms with you know the the guy that they had just gotten out of like some japanese high school or whatever like he was just it was a very meager life very simple like very mundane like I, it's you know i i assume he's still just like a pretty introverted guy pretty quiet um you know there's a reason why you don't see too much of his personality out there like i would imagine the part of like what a team has to pitch them on is like hey we're we're gonna have some pretty serious like curtails on the amount of media that you do like we're yeah. gonna you know we're not gonna be making a ton of demands for you to be like making appearances and doing promotional stuff and appearing in ads and stuff like that like you just want to focus on baseball like you just want to yeah. focus on getting better and doing what you have to do and by the way it takes a just an absurd amount of dedication and discipline and hard work to do what he's doing, like to excel at the level that he is as both a pitcher and a hitter, like where it's, it's normalized somehow just because we've seen it now for a few years, but it is still like, Absolutely incredible what he is doing. He has broken the game of baseball and he's doing it in a way that no one has ever done it before. And that's not like by accident. He doesn't just roll out of bed and do that. There is a ton of work and focus that goes into that, both from a from a training standpoint, a conditioning standpoint, from a mental standpoint from a stress management fatigue management standpoint from what he eats from how he sleeps to how he lives i mean this is a 24 hour a day seven day a week thing in order to be able to perform at the level that he does so i think that as a team you absolutely need to like let him know and probably even write it into the contract that, like, there's going to be some pretty serious limitations on how much we ask of you outside of taking the field for, you know, 162
1: games a year. Yeah, that understanding would have to be there. Um And he's such a unique guy, really. I mean, in so many ways, even when he was receiving his MVP you kind of see a little tiny window into his house, but there's no partner with him. There are no parents with them, no siblings, like even like Gunnar Henderson. It's like a whole crowd of people around him and Shohei, it's just him and his dog, you know, and even the background of his house, is just very like kind of, calm looking and there's not a lot of detail there's not a lot of clutter even like you look at some of the interviews he's done like GQ the 10 things he can't do without it's like a bat and a ball and his sleep mask it's like he doesn't reveal a lot of himself necessarily and that's his prerogative clearly and seems to be his preference obviously works for him so understanding those things when you're pitching Shohei on a commitment that's going to be very long like this commitment is going to be a 10-year contract or maybe teams want to spread the AAV make it a 13 or 14-year contract like so many ways to do this but you're talking about a long relationship with someone and so finding ways to make that as comfortable as possible for him it has to be a priority for any of these teams that consider themselves serious including of course the Jays
0: yeah like I said when we talked like we didn't talk about Cars, you know, we didn't talk about like watches <laughs> or you know, we talked about nutrition, like we talked about like the different ways that he prepares his oatmeal, you know, and like swapping out white rice for brown rice and learning about how different carb sources like impacted his energy on a day-to-day basis. Like he is very nerdy about um a lot of that stuff. And I would think you have to be in order to be the kind of athlete that he is when you mention like a 10-year you know decade-long commit when when you mention a partnership like the um still like incredible amount of money that this is going to take right we're talking about a half a billion dollars here how do you think about like the risk that will be inherent here for whatever team ends up signing Shohei Otani and committing that much money to a guy who is doing something that has never done done before for which there is no past precedent and there are no historical comps
1: and somebody who is going to be coming off of a fairly significant surgery. Well, the risk is there. Um, There's no question about that. And that's part of it. I think at the same time, even if he doesn't ever pitch again, which, you know, we all expect that he'll, he'll be able to pitch at some point in 2025 and continue to be potentially a frontline starting pitcher. I mean, Aaron Nola got 172 million like Shohei Otani when he's on the mound is every bit the pitcher that Aaron Nola is um, or every bit the pitcher that Blake Snell is. And Snell's probably getting 200. So, you know, I think that there's value. there as a pitcher. There's value. there as a position player, but even if he were never to pitch again, then I think his floor is kind of a left-handed Mookie Betts. And obviously the floor is below that because he could, you know, he could miss time due to injury. There are, catastrophe situations that, you know, exist for any free agent. That's obviously a possibility that no one wants to think about. But if he's healthy as a hitter, we've seen proof of concept year after year. He hits the ball. He impacts the ball incredibly hard. He does that really consistently and has a great swing um, that creates a lot of home runs. And he's extremely fast. So he's going to be able to turn doubles into triples and singles into doubles and steal some bases. If he had to be an outfielder, I have no doubt that Shohei Otani could be an above-average right fielder tomorrow, Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Shohei Otani could play center field at a league average level for probably two or three years out of a 10-year or 12-year contract before moving to right or left and making a huge difference with his arm from a corner. So I think if your floor is Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts is a $400 million player, and he also has the upside of like being a $200 million pitcher, I mean, that's where you start to look at $500 million and you're kind of like, all right, this is actually sort of reasonable. And that's where in my mind, you could even push things to six. But, you know, probably, <laughs> you know, six is a lot. <laughs> um, but I see the risk, but I see the reward at the same time. And that's before we even get to the business side.
0: Yeah, you're gonna to have to stomach a sizable amount of risk here, I think, because there is just so much uncertainty about what his pitching future looks like. And like you said, like if he's just a hitter, okay, yeah, four hundred million dollars is is reasonable. But if you're you know dishing out five hundred, five fifty, you're expecting that he's going to pitch at some point. Um, like you're paying for some pitching there. And this is, Um. he's coming off of a second elbow injury. He definitely had Tommy John earlier in his career. I don't know that we've actually heard what the actual specific procedure is we that haven't. he had, right, at the end of the year. So there's a number of different things you can do to address a UCL tear, which he definitely had. But we don't know for certain that it was a second Tommy John, right? So, yep. We're at least I'm just going to say he's had two elbow procedures and it's like significant elbows. Yeah, two significant elbow procedures. And like, look, it's it's impossible to predict like injuries like there's no there's so little research on this because like when you think about it, like what you can't run like a randomized control trial where you you know recruit 30 subjects and you're like, hey, we're gonna snip your UCLs, <laughs> right? So there's just so little reliable data on like how athletes recover, how it impacts them going forward, what it means for them, like it's all case study, right? So you can't even feel like that certain about how you would project how this will impact him in the future, like how this could impact him as a hitter. If he comes back to pitching, what that could look like, whether he's a starter, whether he's a reliever, whether he's a closer, um, like how that all works. Like you're basing it on like past, you know, case studies when really with Shohei Otani, there are no past case studies because nobody's ever tried to do what he's doing. Like you can look at how people who have had two significant elbow operations in the past have recovered, but those are all going to be pitchers. Those aren't going to be guys who have gone out and taken 600 plate appearances as well and hit the ball as hard as he does. And now you're even bringing in him possibly being an outfielder and putting that kind of stress on his arm. Like, there is so much uncertainty there and there's so much risk there that you have to stomach. You do it (laughs) because it's Shohei Otani. If there was ever a time to take on a great amount of risk, like Mm. this is the athlete, this is the person, this is the player, this is the instance. Um, But I do think it is worth like saying there is risk here. Like it's not just a slam dunk that you sign Shohei Otani and like everything is roses. Like there is certainly some risk, certainly some uncertainty going forward.
1: Exactly. And look, if you want to be the Rays and never take on big amounts of risk, like you can win a lot of games and you can have a successful franchise and be the Brewers or be the Rays and just never wade in these waters. And yeah, like you can you can win that way. Um, But you're going to give yourself a big advantage if you can sometimes take on big amounts of risk and open yourself up to huge amounts of reward as well. And the Blue Jays as a big market team have done that in recent years. Clearly, Um, you know, based on Ross Atkins comments, they can be nimble, they can spend, they can be flexible when it comes to their payroll. I read that. This is just me, my personal interpretation. I read that as if we need to, we can spend 500 million bucks on Shohei Otani and still surround him with a good team. So I might be very wrong in that, but I don't think I am. I think that's like what that read is. And so if you can take on that risk, you know, we talk all the time about character and, you know, good person, good people. To the extent that we know anything about shohei otani he definitely seems to be a guy who is going to be motivated who is going to be focused who is not going to have undue distractions who is going to be a good teammate to the extent that those things matter like and they do if you're talking about a 500 million dollar investment like I, i think that you can be pretty confident in the person and then yeah there's risk on on the physical toll that this stuff can take but i think the floor is is still A 400 million dollar player and look if you know end of the day if if Willie Mays is a free agent if if Babe Ruth was a free agent like if Ricky Henderson was a free agent like sometimes you just run into a historic player and yeah signing those guys and taking on some risk I think it's worth it yeah I don't think
0: that they're you know the Blue Jays front office will not be the reason this does not happen it'll be like this is up to Shohei Otani and ownership like that's basically what it comes down to. I think like any front office can easily make the decision of yes, we will sign the generational talent, best player that we've ever seen, like literal unicorn that does things that have never been done before. And we will sign him to a uh you know, a contract for which there is no precedent. Like I just yep. think that and even considering the risk and uncertainty and everything, like the yeah, there's no need to overcomplicate it. It's Shohei Otani. If you have the opportunity to sign him, you try
1: to sign him. And it doesn't have to make sense by dollars per war. It's sometimes it's just get the player, and there are business opportunities. There's also the roster impact that this has. He takes up one roster spot. He's two players. You've also got the fact that the moment whoever signs Shohei Otani, the moment they sign Shohei Otani, they just became a way more attractive destination for second and third tier free agents. Because if you're like on the fence, oh, like I'm a I'm a infielder who's going to get four or five hundred plate appearances. Um, I could either sign with, like, the Twins or I can play on Shohei Ohtani's (laughs) team. Like, I think I'd rather play with Shohei Ohtani. I'm going to agree with that, and
0: uh, with that, we uh, we should step away because we just talked for a very long time about a guy who uh, may very well not be a Toronto Blue Jays. Future Dodger. Um, future Dodger. <laughs> yeah, we just talked for a long time about future Ranger uh, Shohei <laughs> Ohtani. But there are other players who may uh, and, and will become Toronto Blue Jays uh, between now and Open Day. We should probably talk about some of them.
1: Uh, all that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
0: It continues on at the letters, Ardenswelling Welling. Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producer is Christian Ryan. Uh, ben, the way that this MLB offseason is playing out, there's kind of like the Shohei stratosphere up top where, you know, as we mentioned, there are like five or six teams, of which the Blue Jays are, are one of them, interacting with, uh, you know, maybe the best baseball player that we have ever seen and ever will see. And then there's everything that's like sub-Shohei, which includes... Plenty of other players who uh, Ben may or may not have denigrated on the first half of, uh, of this podcast um, and plenty of other opportunities to get better if you're a team that's trying to win in 2024 and beyond. So in the sub-Shohei stratosphere, Ben, where do you think some of the more like interesting opportunities and, and areas are for the Blue Jays as they try to
1: build for the, uh, the coming season? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And this is where, like, I actually had this thought today where, you know, we talked for 30 plus minutes about Shohei Otani and the front offices who are engaged on that player are presumably devoting a lot of resources there. And I wondered, like, you know, for a team like the Rays that just doesn't engage on Shohei, does this actually give them an advantage? Because then all of their energy just goes to different players, you know, like the, the lower tier. Um, but anyways, I, I do think that the Blue Jays do um, have to operate on two fronts because there's a likelihood that they're not going to land Otani. And and that means that they have to be prepared on all these other players. And I think that includes Bellinger, Yamamoto, Soto. Um, you know, Those players all make sense to, uh, for the Blue Jays. Um, it sounds like the Blue Jays believe they have uh, enough in their farm system to pull off a significant trade. And clearly they have uh, the resources to spend on the right player so uh, you know we can dive in on any of those names um and go right down the list but the Blue Jays do have interest uh to some extent in Bellinger Soto Yamamoto um Soto I'm actually not 100% sure on but on Yamamoto they definitely do have interest and on Bellinger they definitely do have interest and you know uh beyond that well I I would presume I would speculate that they've had interest in Soto eventually in 10 innings and again Soto the other way against Walker and again gets him new career high 35th of the year for Soto.
0: Well, then let's talk about Yoshinobu Yamamoto, because that's an, you know, like Bellinger, that makes sense. Obviously, Blue Jays were interested in him last offseason. It scans that would be interested in him again this offseason. Soto, of course, there's going to be interest there. Incredibly impactful talent. Um, you know, Ross Atkins told us yesterday that there was a willingness to take on players with only one year of club control remaining. Soto obviously qualifies, but Yamamoto is a pitcher. And the Blue Jays would appear to have quite a crowded pitching staff right now. Uh, They're essentially returning all of what was the best staff in baseball last season um a like well built out rotation with like veterans and players you believe you can count on you've got alec manoa looking to bounce back and um you know i'd i'd say right now he is very well positioned to be the quote unquote number five in this rotation um but you've also got like internal options from you know about and francis and a, a west parsons and mitch white who's out of options you got a absolutely like very crowded bullpen shot green is coming back um you know you, you don't really have a ton of like optionable types in the bullpen which is kind of like a, an interesting thing that the blue jays may need to address so like how would a yamamoto who by all accounts is going to cost you like 200 plus million dollars fit on this pitching
1: stuff yeah it's it's really interesting because also Shadavidi, our colleague reported this week that ross atkins saw him in person um in in japan so uh, that certainly reflects some serious level of interest in Yamamoto. Um, as you'd expect, I mean, the guy's 25 years old. He has elite home run suppression. He's won um, all kinds of awards in Japan with great results. Of course, you want this guy on your team. I mean, if you think back to Masahiro Tanaka, maybe this is a, a pitcher along those lines, comparable age coming over. Obviously Tanaka, I think was 156. That was years ago. So uh, 200 million, certainly within range for Yamamoto. Now, I ultimately think that Yamamoto is more likely to go to the Yankees, Mets, Giants, or Dodgers. However, the Blue Jays do seem to have some real interest there. And in this scenario that they were to land him, you're probably trading Alec Manoa, a player about whom they've already had trade talks um, this month. Um, doesn't? I, I'm not an, under the impression that anything's really gained traction, but um, have been some, some talks there. Uh, not a shock because teams do their diligence this time of year. But I think at that point, you're either trading... Yeah, Kikuchi, maybe, or more likely Alec Manoa, if you do land Yamamoto. But to me, I see them, honestly, like, I don't know where you see this, Arden, but to me, I actually see Otani as more likely than Yamamoto. <laughs> it, the Yamamoto thing, like, I just have a hard time
0: fitting that with the Blue Jays and where they're at right now. Like, it's hard for me to imagine them coming off of this season in which they pitched superlatively uh and really had a hard time like converting um hitting into runs because like the you know the the misnomer about the blue jays is that they didn't hit in 2023 well no like they hit they just didn't convert that into runs like they really didn't slug uh but they like they hit plenty uh wrc plus and like well above league average like all these numbers support what they are able to do at the plate they just weren't able to convert that into runs maddeningly um in really big situations when they needed to Uh, so it's hard for me to imagine that they then come back in 2023 with well okay we're gonna drop like 200 plus million dollars on another pitcher and and not spread out the money that we have available to help our offense and to add some more thump and to add some more producers in our lineup when that is what we so sorely needed last season
1: yeah exactly and i think that's where you know this is a front office that does its diligence um they will check on hundreds um or at least dozens like approaching 100 names uh with some real degree of interest this offseason and like this is for a team that has a 40-man roster right so you can do the math they're not acquiring Uh, Most of the the vast majority of players um, that they check on and even the players that they show some degree of serious interest in end of the day, the Blue Jays are acquiring like five players this offseason. If you look back that the offseason like last offseason one before that they end up with like five players and some of those players are more like, you know, bottom of the roster and a few of those players are higher impact. So yeah, that's probably what we're looking at this year. And I, I agree with you that it's probably not focused on the pitching side i think it's more likely to be on the hitting side and you know bellinger i think is interesting but i don't know i don't know where you see his market i see his market is like 200 million plus and i do not see the blue jays spending that
0: yeah i think that well i don't know 6 150 for bellinger maybe like does it have to be 200
1: i think if you can get him for 6 150 do it today and i just like that that's south of the Nimmo contract I think he's I think he's like pretty clearly a better player than Nimmo um and
0: I mean can you just write off what happened towards the end of his Dodgers tenure like that
1: I I think given how well he bounced back like I'd have I definitely like Brandon Nimmo is never gonna hit 35 homers like I I think you know Bellinger when you look at the defense the speed the youth the fact he's just 28 years old you know obviously his 30 homer power I Personally, would believe that he's going to get 200 plus million from someone like the Yankees, Giants, um, or Cubs. Would be my guess.
0: Deep drive to right. This ball back to the wall. It's got a chance. Gone. Cody Bellinger with a home run. Cubs lead three to nothing. He is certainly um, a bright and shiny object uh, that is available in the free agent market. And there are a few of those bright, shiny objects, right? There's him, there's Shohei through trade, there's Juan Soto. Um, you know, if you're looking for pitching, I think, you know, Blake Snell would, would qualify there. Um, like, there are definitely some, like, really high-priced, really impactful players available. This is just somewhat the way that I'm wired, but, like, when I look at this off season and like what the blue jays could do with the resources that they have available like i keep coming back to just spreading it around a (laughs) a bit and trying to you know not just like concentrating all of my resources into one or two players but like taking some intelligent bets on like a bunch of different players and like part of that could be a return of matt chapman on a deal that is like paying him like, I don't know, 20 to $25 million a year over five to six years, right? And that could be your like splashy move. So there's third base taken care of. Then you look around the rest of the diamond at like second base and it's like, ah, you know, we'll take a bet on Ahmed Rosario, Uh, you know, left field, let's grab like, Jock Peterson for the bat and Harrison Bader for the defense or Michael A. Taylor for the defense and figure it out there and then look to DH to take a bet on like a – Reese Hoskins or a Mitch Garver or somebody, you know, Jorge Soler, Soler would probably be priced out at that point. Like, so, you know, Carlos Santana, Justin Turner, like somebody who's kind of bat first is going to play like 120 games at DH and then maybe 20 games at an actual position and just kind of spread it out and do it that way. I, I keep coming back to that maybe being – what a better outcome for the Blue Jays, like in the realistic tier. Obviously, the Shohei Otani outcome is the best possible outcome. Obviously, Bellinger would be a great outcome, but in terms of like what's likely to happen, and what's realistic, I keep coming back to just kind of spreading it out to a bunch of kind of one to three win players and going forward from there.
1: Yeah, and I think so in that scenario because with Chapman, I I almost separate him from like from the from the category of like spread it around because yeah in this market chapman's like kind of one of the elite players um i know jay's fans might not view him that way just because he didn't hit for the last five or for four of the last five months of the season he was good in july but um yeah like i think that with chapman his market's really interesting too because he's on that list of players where it's like giants dodgers yankees cubs you know, they're all kind of fighting for, and Blue Jays obviously in this mix as well, fighting for some of these same players. And Chapman, his market could move in a lot of different directions. I don't think his market is as strong as Ballinger's. Um, I I think that there are some fits like the Giants that make a lot of sense and the Blue Jays that make some sense. But you'll talk to other people, and I've heard from some folks who think like, you know, his market's not super clear beyond some of those teams. So, you know, if the Blue Jays could get him for four or five years, to me, that's really interesting. If I'm the Jays, I don't think I would go to a sixth year. But you could make a case that you might have to. Um, and that might be what he ends up getting from a team like the Giants.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at him as like 5-125 or 6-150. Like yeah. that sort of situation. Right? Does that scan with you?
1: I, that does scan. Like to me, Chapman at five I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a pretty good deal for the team. Chapman yeah. at 5-150, I'm like... Oh, it's a good deal for Chapman, <laughs> which which isn't a bad thing. Like you want Chapman should get paid. Like you know, good for him. He had a great season, or, or not a great season, but he's some of dispute very, very, that. Yeah, I, I myself would dispute that as soon as I heard myself say it. But I think <laughs> he's he's a very very good major league player, and he continues to project as a very good major league player. So you know, six one fifty, if he signs with the Giants, I'll be like, yeah, win win deal. But I don't know if it's on if it's on the Jays. Like I think you got to be you got to be conscious of, of the back end of those deals, um, as we're seeing with the latest 6-150 that they signed, the only other <laughs> 6-150 in franchise history, where George Springer on the back half of his deal, you know, it's not the most exciting three years coming up. Uh, based on what we saw this past year, it's more good than great. With Chapman, like it's that classic thing
0: where when you watch a player every day over six months, like the warts become a lot more apparent and you yeah. kind of lose the forest for the trees um but when you just like if Matt Chapman like had finished out his career with the Oakland Athletics which like never would happen because that's not how the Oakland Athletics do business but say that he had and he hit free agency and he's coming off of this three and a half win season in which he had like a 110 WRC plus and he had you know uh puzzlingly like low homer year compared to where he'd been prior um in his career but still had all the hard hit data like the eggs you know the way that he strikes the ball was all consistent you know you could point at the spray chart and say hey look at this 404 foot fly ball that didn't go out and this 402 one and this 405 one and yeah he was you know the expected numbers tell us that he was unlucky for the quality of contact that he made strikeout rate is like right wing. Where it's been for you know the last couple of years actually down from earlier in his career the walk rate's still there pitch selection's still there I think that in the defense by the way like still very very good at third base I think a lot of fans would be a lot more excited about the uh, potential of signing a yeah. Matt Chapman if he had hit the market from another team and they hadn't watched him every day and they hadn't just seen like the context of the season that he just had which yes like was frustrating and yes there you know was that incredible April and then you know four and a half months that followed it that were underwhelming and there was you know an injury in there that he tried to play through and that didn't help him at all and like yeah like that those things are real, then those things happen. But I think that when you just pull out and you look at who he is as a player, it's like, yeah, he hits the ball really, really hard and you know has a lot of power, makes good swing decisions, doesn't chase a lot, um, strikes out at a pretty high clip, but also walks at a decent clip, has that profile that's going to be inherently streaky just because of how he produces, but in the end comes around to being like a... 110 to 115 wrc plus player with really strong defense at third base who is worth like three to four wins i think that's a good player and i think that's a guy who is worth 25 million dollars a year over five years so if the blue jays made that deal with them i don't think i would poo-poo it i think i would say yeah that's a fair deal that's a good deal the Blue Jays are, and also, by the way, the Blue Jays understanding who he is as a character guy, as a part of their culture, as a part of their clubhouse, which is all stuff that matters. And his just having that familiarity with how he works and how he fits into the organization. I think for all those reasons, if the Blue Jays brought back Matt Chapman, I'd be like, yeah, it's a good deal.
1: At, at 5 125, for sure. If they do it at 6 <sighs> 150. Yeah, that's, I. to me, it's like. I don't know, man.
0: We might all be dead by then, whatever. Like, it's what's one more year, right? Like, ultimately, like the Blue Jays have this two year window right now where they need to be doing everything they possibly can to win. If that's what it takes to make themselves really good now, like you are always factoring in, like, some, like a bill that's going to be due in these deals. When they signed George Springer, you knew. That the last couple of years of that deal weren't going to look great. I'm sure we talked about it in the podcast when they signed him. Same thing with like when they signed Russell Martin, when they signed Hunjin Ryu. Like there is always a bit of interest that comes due towards the end of these deals. And you just yeah. kind of stomach that and you deal with it when you get there. Like six years yeah. from now, Ben, Like we're talking about a, a, a what, 2030 season at that point? Yeah. Like do Blue Jays have any commitments for 2030 right now? Rios probably. Right. But he might opt out after two years, right? So even if they do have Brios of twenty thirty, like they can stomach that. They can be a high payroll team. Like they they can be okay. They can like they
1: can make bets like this. Yeah, they can. They can. For me with uh with Chapman, i do five one twenty five. I'd probably step away if it got to six one fifty. I'd probably say we wish you the best of luck in San Francisco. And, Jamer uh, Candelario, you are yeah, a Toronto Blue Jay. And it's Jamer O'Clock and we're going to him and yeah, it's like 28 over two for Candelario, you know, right. Um, and you might get two wins out of Candelario instead of the three and a half. You would have got Oh, out yeah, of Chapman. Absolutely. Like there's a, he's a worse player. No, yeah. there's no debate. He is a worse player than Matt Chapman. Um, and I think this is where you get to the question, right. Of like spreading it around. And I generally, I like that idea. And I think obviously plan A is Shohei Otani. Um, that is the best outcome. But, but I do think that there are lots of scenarios where the blue Jays do end up spreading it around. And like, you know, if you can sign, like to me, the the realistic good outcome for this team is they sign Reese Hoskins, uh, who he's a Boris client, he's not going back to the Phillies. Sign Reese Hoskins for two years, give him an opt-out after one if he wants. Like, do what like get the player. Do go out there and get him, give him a good deal. Um, that's a that's a player friendly deal, but Reese Hoskins is a good player. Um, I would say do that. Two-year deal, opt-out after one, total guarantee thirty-five million, something like that. Um, get Ahmed Rosario as a bench piece trade Espinal get get Willie Adamas in there Um, maybe find a way to round out your outfield somehow I mean definitely you need to add some outfield help maybe that's Kevin Kiermaier I mean you start you start adding up the money it's like it gets to 40 45 50 million pretty quick and that's the amount of money that it seems the Blue Jays have to to spend barring an Otani deal Um, so it would require some level of creativity there but um, I think Kiermaier should be on the table. I really like Reese Hoskins. I really think Willie Adamas is a trade candidate. It makes tons of sense. But, you know, obviously in the trade market, you start with Soto. I mean, I'm sure they have, I, I believe, I, I, I'm speculating that they have had talks with San Diego about Soto. Um, and so, you know, you see if there's a fit there. But if you can spread it around in the right ways, um, there are a lot of good players out there. They're just not maybe the caliber of a Bellinger on a, on a ceiling basis. I do like the opportunity that the Blue
0: Jays have, and like Ross Atkins has mentioned this specifically, to take on like a full-time DH type or even just a very primary DH type. Like so Hoskins, who you mentioned, would qualify as that. Like yeah. how, how much do you want Reese Hoskins playing the field next year if you're signing him? Yeah. 20 to 30 games? Yeah, stops. whenever Vladdy needs a break. Yeah, that's essentially it. And there's like you could do that with uh, it makes it really like the most interesting kind of position. The Blue Jays are filling this offseason just for me as like a a weirdo who is interested in weird things because there are a lot of different players who you could go to there. Hoskins makes a lot of sense. Mitch Garver to me would be really interesting on a, like a similar kind of short-term, you know, I don't think it would be one year with Garver, it'd probably be two or three, but as a primary DH, get him out from behind the plate all the time. Hopefully he stays healthier. Try to tap into like that big power that he's shown. Great plate discipline, high on base, um, and he's there to spell at catcher if you need him to. If you're going, you know, Jansen Kirk um, next year and say Danny Jansen has like the annual sort of mid-June, uh, you know, foul ball that goes off of his hand and causes him to miss six weeks, unfortunately. Well, you don't have to ride Kirk quite as aggressively or you don't have to use quite as much of Tyler Heineman. You can throw... Mitch Garver back there from time to time get Kirk off of his feet um you know have Garver's bat in the lineup uh you know that makes some sense to me man like Michael Brantley is interesting to me as a guy who like when he's healthy like has always hit and always been Michael Brantley so if you can just DH him primarily get him off his feet more often use some of all your your facilities and your sports science folks and all the resources that you have in order to keep him healthier and keep him fresher Man, that's a guy that make a lot of sense is like 110 games at DH and 20 games and left um, Ooh, Justin Turner.
1: That's a lot of games for Michael Brantley. 20 though. games, 20 games. Ben? No, no. I mean, one 130 total like, oh, I, I'm I,
0: trying because I'm keeping him healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, that would be like he's he's been a great hitter I, to me. Michael Brantley is like almost minor league deal territory. No way, Ben. That's crazy. I,
0: That's I, I an can, insult to Michael <laughs> Brantley. Minor league deal territory? No.
1: I, I mean, I, I, is it one year, like three million? Like I, it's no, it's a,
0: like one year, like nine and a half million, dude. It's the oh. Brandon Belt deal.
1: I, I wouldn't go that
0: high. That is insulting <laughs> to Michael Brantley. Michael Brantley's not signing a minor <laughs> league deal, dude.
1: Man, you knew that some players were going to catch strays from me before this yeah. one ended. And Michael Brantley just uh, didn't know what was coming. Sorry, Michael, if you're listening. Um, I will say, maybe 130 is
0: aggressive, but like, say, <laughs> you're about to say Joey Votto.
1: <laughs> All right, I will say maybe
0: 130 is aggressive, but like 110 games from Brantley... 90 of them at DH, 20 of them in the field. Like coming into this year, would you have said that Brandon Belt was going to make over 400 plate appearances or are you going to say he's probably going to be injured? Right? You know what I, I was mean, saying
1: about Brandon Belt at the start of this year and I it wasn't know a lot very of nice you said about Brandon Belt. <laughs> it was and look, hey, you know what? Brandon Belt had a great season. He had a way better season than I ever would have predicted when I watched him in April because the first my first extended look at Brandon Belt was like this guy's washed. And I really believe that. And then he proved to be one of their better hitters. So yeah. 2-0. Hit high and deep. Out to right field. You can forget it. That ball's long gone.
0: What a key cog coming down the stretch for the Blue Jays. Brandon Belt delivers number 19 on the season. and as a guy who was coming off of a couple of injury-like ravaged years, right, who had had you know surgeries on his knee, and there was a lot of question marks about his health. and Blue Jays found a way to keep him healthy, um, to really use him in an optimal way, right, like really hit him from lefties effectively, used, and just like got the best out of him. I could see a similar deal with with Michael Brantley at a similar age, coming off of a couple of similarly challenging seasons. In which, when he was healthy and when he was on the field, he was himself and didn't, you know, show that many signs
1: of degradation as a hitter. 12 million last year for Brantley. So, yeah, somewhere under that, obviously. I mean, nine. Oh, man. Give him the belt deal. One year, nine point three, or whatever it was. uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it personally. Um, But, you know, where do you land on Votto? Because I'm intrigued by Votto. But again, like you can make some of the same plus minus cases on Votto that you could for a guy like Brantley. And I yeah. think, you know, as much as we, I don't mean you, but I mean, we collectively get intrigued by Votto and excited because he's Canadian and because he's kind of a quirky dude. You know, end of the day, the the player is probably not so dissimilar from someone like a Michael Brantley. So then, you know, you can make the same case for him that he probably is, you know, maybe it's more like a three million than like a 10 million commitment. It,
0: You think about how old Michael Brantley feels. Michael Brantley's four years younger than Joey Votto. Yeah. So, and he's coming off of, I mean, when on the field, more productive years than Joey Votto. So I like Brantley more than Votto. Like, you can't tell me that Brantley's signing a minor league deal and Votto's signing a major league deal.
1: I mean, if... uh, Brantley's four years younger and coming off of better years. Put it this way. I won't be surprised if either one of them signs a minor league deal. That is one way of putting it. Um, yeah, but so yeah, I would
0: I would look at Hoskins, Brantley, Garver in that role. Carlos Santana, Justin Turner, you know, those would be interesting guys. I'm also kind of interested in how they settle the outfield because look, Dalton Varsha is going to play center field as things stand right now, unless they bring back Kevin Kiermeyer, But I, I don't really expect that they're going to. Like I, I just think that it. the bidding there
1: will just it'll get beyond the value the Blue Jays are comfortable with. Especially Kiermaier? if the Yankees miss on Bellinger. Like if Bellinger yeah. goes to the Giants, the Yankees are sitting there. Maybe they get Soto. They still want someone to put between Judge and Soto in the in center field. Um, and if they miss on Soto, all well, the more reason to go out there and get Kiermaier with Bader hitting free agency. Uh, clearly, I mean, I, th- I think Kiermaier is going to be a Yankee, but we'll see. So then I like kind
0: of pairing a, you know, Peterson Bader or Peterson Taylor is kind of like, you know, bat first defense first yeah. in the outfield to play left, right? With Varsho playing essentially every day in center field or mostly every day in center field. If you get Bader or Taylor, like those guys can spell Varsho in in center, um, every now and then. Like Jung Hu Lee, another guy who kind of interests me coming yeah. over from KBO with uh, you know, pretty elite contact rates, like doesn't strike out a lot. Um, some pretty serious questions about how the power is going to transfer, how much power there will be there. But by all reports, like a, a pretty strong defender um, and still very young as well so somebody who like maybe he's a little too much of a project right now for the blue jays where they're like you're trying to win in 2024 and you're trying to win in 2025 and maybe you don't have time to like write out that song kim arc where it's like the first year he's adjusting and acclimating and getting used to it and it's a little dicey and then like you know two and a half three years into the tenure oh, okay this guy's actually really good now and like has figured it out and has you know grown into who he can be in mlb i don't know if the blue jays have that kind of runway for a guy like Jung-Hoo Lee but uh, he is a really interesting option in the outfield for me as well yeah
1: I I like that fit a lot I I think it's a it's a fair point to say that you know there's some uncertainty there as far as what that on-ramping looks like in a way that even for Yamamoto we've seen so many pitchers transition from Japan so smoothly um, that there's a pretty high degree of confidence that with both him and Imanaga that they're going to be good major league pitchers in 2024 now, is that Cy Young level or is that just like number four starter TBD, but they're going to be good pitchers. So, yeah, I think I think that's an interesting play. I mean, it's probably an ideal, ideal fit for like the Tigers or, you know, a team that's trying to trying to ramp up and or the Nationals, a team that might be a couple years away from contention. Um, but I still think that that makes sense for the Blue Jays to have some interest there. Um, I think he's viewed as a really good defensive player as well. Um, so that can, that can help them out because as much as they need to add offense, you can't get away from defense. And I think this is where for me, like shy reported some interest in Isaiah Kiner Falefa Ahmed Rosario to me makes a ton of sense for this team, um, as someone who could, who could help defensively and offensively. I think you got to keep that in mind as you're making these, um, as you're making these calls this winter.
0: Yeah, Rosario for second base makes sense. Um, if, you know, none of those aforementioned outfield options work out, as well I make it clear, I'd prioritize all the guys I said before over this. I mean, you could do worse than Adam Duvall. Yeah. Um, in a, you know, in a role where, like, you know, we're using you, like, you know, sparingly, but, like, this is a guy who has been productive and he's a veteran and he's shown that he can – Still get it done at the big league level. And yeah, he's gonna strike out a lot, but he's also gonna run into a bunch and probably hit you 2022 homers and probably be worth like a win and a half. That's that's where if you get if you're getting that on like uh you know
1: one year, six, six and a half million bucks, there's value there. A hundred percent. I mean, there are a lot of guys like that as far as filling out the DH spot, it's not gonna be hard. Um, there are going to be ways to fill out the DH spot so Um, I think the two positions that the Blue Jays have to fill externally are third base and outfield in some capacity because opening day 2024, there's no one to play third base. I mean, I'm considering Chapman at this point an external uh, candidate. Um, And yeah, you're not going to want Kevin Biggio out there for like 130 games. You're not going to count on a Relvis Martinez or Addison Barger to break camp. You need someone from outside at third base and you need someone from outside to help Dalton Varsho patrol either left or center or both some combination you need an outfielder you absolutely need a third baseman I personally think they need like four bats um, you know we've talked about a lot of names here um, but there are a lot of variables that you could pull on and maybe you know if it's three you could still have a good team you could still have uh, a team that could threaten and should threaten for the top American League east uh, position uh, something that that can save them the trouble of the wild card uh pain they've endured in recent years um <laughs> so yeah i think that i think you got to be on the lookout for multiple bats but those are the two positions that i really look at
0: I've said this before, um, but I do think that the one like really dark horse internal candidate for third base, who I don't think this is likely and you certainly don't want to go into the regular season being like this is our plan, but I don't think it's out of the question that Damiano Palmegiani shows up to spring and wins the job at third base or wins a job on the team. Like I he is a guy who is very intriguing very uh davis schneider-esque in his you know ability to control the zone and to work his approach and to take his walks and not swing um at pitches that he can't do damage at and to swing at pitches that he can do damage at a lot of power some question about the defense but he like paul is one guy who i look at as might just show up to camp mess around and win a job
1: yeah and this is where like a guy like justin turner is intriguing because If you sign a Justin Turner, then it's like, okay, you've got the guy in place for one year. And then if someone can burst onto the scene, that opening is going to be there and you can move some things around to make that work.
0: Totally. I will like just even just more generally, like this is a year where the blue jays just need more contributions internally than they have had over the last couple of seasons it has not been a good couple of years for like graduating talent onto the big league roster um this really was driven home to me when we were voting for our like rookie of the year uh (laughs) ballots in uh with the the bbwaa recently and it was like oh davis schneider spencer horowitz bowden francis those are the only three names and so the 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 guy who was very clearly the rookie of the year like forced his way onto the roster midsummer had a torrential few weeks and then was kind of like a you know part-time player down the stretch like it's they just you need somebody internally whether it's paul neggiani whether it's alan roden or Elvis Martinez, Ricky Tiedemann, like somebody's got to come up from within and start like um, augmenting what you have at the big league level right now. And it's it's got to be this year. Like I think you have to have a better year in terms of producing big league talent from your developmental system this year than, than you did last. And that is like, that's a near term issue because you're going to have injuries you have a lot of veterans there's going to be pitching injuries there's going to be injuries to um you know the any number of these like 35 year old dudes that we're saying the blue jays should sign so you're going to want to be able to like replace them with major league capable players it's a near term thing it's also a longer term thing because uh you know two more years of Vladimir Guerrero Jr and, and Bo Bichette and you're you're going to need to uh start adding some like real impactful talent into internally and start like just replenishing internally now otherwise you are potentially looking
1: at a real cliff 2 years from now. And just to uh to add on there cuz you mentioned Beau Bichette's name. You know oh, yeah. I've said this. Yeah. I've said this pretty consistently like any time I've been asked ever since the season ended and it remains the same now. I don't think my answers changed like at all but I just don't see the Blue Jays trading Beau Bichette. I don't see them trading Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's all I have to say on the matter. <laughs> yeah, that was silly. I mean Ross Atkins could not have made it any clear the
0: other day. Bobuchet is our shortstop going forward, and so yeah, there's really no 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 need to spend any more time on it uh, than that probably no need to spend any more time uh on this podcast because we've been going for a while and i think that we have uh you know once you're um you know getting to the adam duvall territory uh i think you've probably gone far enough (laughs) in terms of
1: where this blue jays off season uh could break put them on the side of the rogers center get those jerseys printed (laughs) hey they missed on otani but boy they got adam duvall uh, uh you're off to the uh the winter meetings next week look to
0: uh sportsnet.ca for uh, all of your content you and shy are gonna have us uh covered there and uh, hey man maybe you'll even have some real honest to goodness transactions to talk about
1: i hope so yeah i i think so and i hope so and um yeah should be interesting right the otani stuff even if he ends up being a cub that's pretty fascinating to me so i'll be intrigued Totally. Uh, He's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling.
0: Our producer is Christian Ryan. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next time on At The Letters.